and welcome to Concert Pipeline. That's Yen Schiphol. And that's Steve Jones. And Yen's today we are going across the pond. That is right. All the way to... Ireland! Dublin! Yes, uh, we're going to interview a, a guy named Sean who's uh, in a band called Outsider. And uh, it was a fun interview. It was, it, was a, uh, it was a great... I mean, he's really philosophical and uh and deep uh, i mean he goes on you know long diatribes about some really deep uh topics that we got into and uh and per you know personal in his life he doesn't hold back really uh, a lot at all and uh, that's fantastic you know every now and then we we, we have the opportunity to, to interview you know people like that that are like-minded uh like-minded blow your mind i mean did you have an existential crisis after this conversation was, I, like, was it that intense philosophically i won't say yes but i will say that i'm going to change the entire way i look at life that's a big deal <laughs> that's a huge takeaway yes yes okay um and uh jens we've been following this saga for the past couple of weeks tell us what is the latest with the the bike is it running oh the motorcycle yes oh God, I do have an update. I do have an update. Uh, let me think. Where did I leave off with this story? It was kind of a clusterfuck, and um, I was, I was uh, getting to the point where I just wanted to get the thing up and running so I could just sell it. I didn't care anymore, and I figured, why do, why do combustion engines have to be so complicated? Like, what are all these hoses and all these? other crap that you have to connect to the engine to get this damn thing to work and I just was dreaming of the future of how nice it's going to be when all of that goes away and everything is just electric motors and batteries right yes um, but hey my uh, perspective changed back because I got the goddamn thing running wow unreal. okay yeah unreal so it finally fired up and uh, I think I was talking last time about having flooded the engine or something. So it took a couple of days of constantly trying to start it um, a couple times during the day and having the battery charge, you know, between starts. And then after I think maybe fourth day or something, it finally started up. And I took it out around uh, the, the park here. So I was on it for maybe 30 minutes or so. And it was rock solid. You live to tell the tale. I lived to tell the tale. I made it back. I didn't break down. The thing exploded on me, even though I had that fuel leak. Uh, totally running fine. Parked in the garage again, or I mean uh, in the driveway again, and I think I'm just going to take it out once or twice a week. Um, and just, you know, make sure everything is good to go, and uh, probably still going to end up selling it, though. And you haven't been getting out in the outside world recently, so how was it out there in the in the in the world, Jens? It was crazy, and I'm really glad you asked that question, Steve, because uh, I, I uh, went around our little park here, right? Well, I shouldn't say little; it's uh, the, the China Camp Park, sure, uh, which borders the bay. And um, I haven't been there in years, and which is insane because it's five minutes from me. I just never go in that. Direction. Yeah, and I had forgotten how beautiful it is and um this time of year 
there was a lot of grass growing um, out, you know, out of the water right on the shoreline. And it looked like rice fields. Like it just went on and on along the shoreline where people could, you know, just drive and look and take pictures. And there were places you could park and, you know, barbecue and stuff. And um, there were a couple of people that were out. And there was tons of wildlife. There were those, you're a bird guy, right? Yeah. You like to shoot birds. Yeah. So. <laughs> <laughs> Saw a bunch of ducks. Saw these, you know, white birds with the long legs uh, in the water. E- egrets. They're... Egrets. Thank okay. you. And uh, a bunch of deer crossing the street, and it just it was so um, it was so beautiful. It just reminded me why I got into motorcycling to begin with, and that was you know to get out and do the back roads and to experience all this beautiful you know nature. Um. So uh, so uh, I'm not going to say that this will be my last bike i'll probably get another one but i'll i'll wait um would love to have an electric bike you're not in a hurry is what you're saying yeah 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 and so so you will sell this one is that is your plan yeah i'll probably i just want to i want to have a good solid feeling that um you know it's working there's nothing wrong with it and whoever buys it isn't going to be stuck on the side of the freeway uh, so I want, I just want to make sure I've, you know, checked everything out. I'll take it on some longer rides, a couple hours and, um, I don't know, I'll probably put on Craigslist or whatever, um, by the end of the month. Good call. Very cool. Well, yeah, yeah. So, so, um, so how about you? I heard, uh, you've got, uh, you've got a story for us too. I have a conversation to share with you. So, uh, uh-huh. The, since our last podcast, the district has uh, released their uh, their plans for distance learning and schooling and what that looks like. I mean, you pretty much you get two options uh, where one is you yeah, your kids can go back when it's safe to uh, to go back or two is you can have them distance learning for either the entire semester or year, which I think whichever you choose uh, could probably be addressed again halfway through the the year, which is, you know, around the holidays, uh, that sort of thing. Uh, both, I think, are pretty much the same option right now because it is not safe to go back. So so the government has said, yeah, everything's distant, uh, distance learning for certain counties, I believe, including, uh-huh. including ours. Uh, and so I've been talking to invested parties uh, about... What the what that means? What the plan means? Because there's a lot of moving pieces with this, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, you got to work with. Uh, I got to work with you know my girlfriend. Uh, I got to work with my kid's mom. I got to work with my mom and uh, and sister who are volunteering to help support how they can. Um, yeah, like and part of it is like okay, so they're gonna be if they're gonna be with my mom and sister, like how much can they help? My mom and si- I'm sure can't long divide a cookie. Uh, so, um, yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's a challenge. And so just a few, a few hours ago, um, I created a plan with, uh, with my girlfriend. We spreadsheeted it out, color coded and everything looks, uh, really great to, you know, uh, towards where the kids are going to be when, uh, in terms of with me or with, uh, their mom versus with my mom potentially. And then there's my kids, uh, mom's 
other kid uh, that's a part of the equation as well because like his mom works three days a week, right? Um, and I can understand why your mom can't divide this shit. Is, this is <laughs> I know I'm going really all over the place, but uh, the long and short of it is we made a great plan uh, that that looks good and was similar to our custody arrangement for our other kids, in which days we'll be teaching the kids. So I'm going to have to help teach my kids, right? And so I'm going to have to cut back a, a, day, a work day or have a light work day to be able to balance work with supporting both children while they're learning. Uh, All right. And, um, you know, and we had a great plan. Like his mom, you know, uh, up and calls my mom to talk to her about support uh, and what she's willing to do. And so it's where the third kid comes in, where there's um, where there's a problem. Because the third kid is messing everything up, right? Yeah, and so I just got okay, a call. Before you continue, do you have do you have this plan? Do you have this thing that you chart or whatever schedule that you've written out? Can I see this? Yeah, yeah. It sounds like this epic, like piece of art. Oh, oh, it is, it is, it is. Uh, like it, it needs to be on a wall, you know, in a frame. <laughs> I mean, it's pretty great. Like I'm sending it to you right now. So I feel like it's better than the best PowerPoint presentation, you know, back when that was a big deal. <laughs> it could be. Check your check your device and you can follow along at home. Um and all right. Let's see. Yeah. And so in this, yeah, you'll be able to see it. It's color coded. It's blocked out as far as what days, you know, uh my kid's mom. Uh, this is fantastic. My right? God, I don't even know what I'm looking at, but it is organized. Yes, you've, and you've got you've got the you've got the colors. I mean, this is like Excel or numbers or something, right? Yeah, uh, yeah, it's Excel. Excel. So you've got yeah. So you've got the days. You've got the rows, got the columns. Everything's color coordinated. You've got letters representing people. Like M is the mom. Yep. Uh, your mom and so, yep. oh yeah yep. I, I, this totally makes sense right and so and so uh so we had it all drafted out and everything and then i right two minutes before we were going to start potting i get a call from my kid's mom and it's like yeah that's not going to work uh she's been like resistant to my idea where even my mom is offering to help with her kid my kid's mom's uh you know third kid right and right. uh and uh and She's just not been crazy about the idea, and so now she's like, okay, well, you know, uh, her kid uh, that's not mine is going to have to be in daycare anyway, so we're going to have him in daycare three days a week, and that schedule has to be this, and that's not going to work with your schedule, and we're just going to have to figure out something else. I'm like, well, it's going to be a clusterfuck because it's our, it already is freaking messy, but uh -huh. but now it's nuts, right? Yeah. Now it's like beyond hope. So, it's, yeah. I, okay, I, okay, wait, wait a minute. So, um, I'm taking a look at this thing. Is the third kid on the bottom? Yes. So there's a whole separate line just for one just, kid. Just for that kid, because that kid isn't necessarily a part of the equation with my kids, right? I'm not n yeah. watching her kid necessarily, even though my mom has volunteered to, to help. So, uh, so I mean, I guess my mom volunteered for one day with her kid so that's that's where it kind of throws everything out she doesn't and she doesn't want to baby proof my mom's house for her one-year-old right so your, your mom should charge for this man uh, she should absolutely pay my mom to to, yeah. to help out you know uh totally. but but if 
it doesn't sound like she's going to use my mom to watch her her kid anyway. I mean, th- my mom watching three kids is a lot, admittedly, yeah. but man, I had a good plan, and it, and now it's gone. So yeah, that sucks. I'm really proud of you guys. I mean, this is intense. Uh, it, I know, I, I know, uh, you know firsthand how difficult it is to to make a schedule, and I've pretty much given up uh, any opportunities. You know. Uh, during different roles at work throughout my life because I suck at it. I'm, I cannot conceptualize a complicated schedule. Just, I cannot get it on paper. Yeah, well, that's, yeah. you know, I, I, when, like, I had the call on speaker and, and my girlfriend was out at the garage and came back in and was telling me about how we're low on paper towels and, and then she hears I'm on the phone and, you know, and then afterwards, you know, I ran by her very quickly and she just had this look of defeat on her face oh. and she's like, Okay, I'm going to the store now, so mm-hmm. I'm, I'm like, uh, sorry. <laughs> uh, oh my god. Okay, so just the, so what's the alternative then? What what's what was suggested she, by the other party of how this is going to work? I don't know. She thought we were going to hash it out right now, but I was like, I got a pod with the end. Sorry. Uh, okay. <laughs> I was like, we can figure it out tomorrow or Wednesday, and go uh, so the story. Them is on hold for a commercial break or something and uh, it will be continued yes it will be continued so uh, um well good luck with that man uh, looks like an absolute headache thank you i'm sure it'll be wonderful but i kudos on the tremendous effort we tried that's all we could do so yeah yeah all right well that's our stories we, at the we beginning we could plan a kidnapping oh who are we kidnapping well the problem child what are you going to do with this child? Okay, now we are on. I haven't thought that far ahead, but if we get the kid out of the picture for the school year or something, maybe that'll help. Okay, are you are you admitting to uh, like a, a crime here, Jens? A no, future crime? not at all. I'm just you know thinking out of the box. Okay, it sounds like you want to put him in a box. Uh, <laughs> wow. Put him on a boat, send him around the world. By the time school season's over. Yeah, that sounds that sounds great. Uh, <laughs> Jesus. Alrighty. With that, we're gonna get into our uh, our guest. Bring him on in from across the pond over in Ireland. Um, and again, this is Sean from Outsider. Here it is. Hey there, Sean. How how was your day going so far? Uh, good. Uh, tired now. Was in studio all day long, so I just left studio. About uh, 25 uh, to come on to, to do this. So, yeah, I had a good day in studio. Um, but, yeah, I'm usually a little bit um, a little bit worn out after a day in studio of kind of um, just listening. And and uh, we're mixing at the moment, so that's that's tiring. It's always tiring in the senses, I find. Um, so I'm extra tired because we haven't actually – because of lockdown – in Ireland, we haven't been in the studio in three months, so just getting back into the swing of things, you know. So, so what are you working on recording right now? Uh, I'm working on two new songs. Um, I'm going to I'm reco- uh, going to record an EP. I want to see what we'll see how it goes. I'd like to get an EP out, um, but uh, a song called Trans Re I'm working on at the moment, and another one's called Sound Soon. Um, they're sounding absolutely incredible. I think it's like. Some of the best stuff. It could be the best song I've ever done, but we'll see. Okay, okay, that's a that's a high bar there, right? So we're pretty excited yeah, about yeah. the new material. Excuse me. We're pretty excited about the new material then. It is. It, this sounds incredible. It really does. And I usually don't say that. I'm usually kind of um, 
a bit reserved, but we are we are both very ex- you know the producer is very excited. My producer Mangini, we're both very excited about it. it. Just sounds really sounds really big, and that's pretty much it. It sounds kind of um, it's got loads of energy and charge, and the the subject matter is just really cool. So. It's nice. Everything just came together for it so far. Thus far, everything has come together. Yeah. Um, nicely. Yeah. And so, so tell me a little bit about how uh, this quarantine, how you know, COVID has uh, affected you, affected you, and kind of how you operate. Like, what what's changed for you, and how you? Well, I suppose the studio I work in went into shutdown. Um, so usually, oh, I thought I'd get a lot of songs written or maybe some demos done over lockdown because, you know, isolation. I, I was thinking to myself, this is going to be perfect for me as an artist. Um, but um, I, I didn't, I felt creativity dried up. Uh, my producer also felt the same. Some people felt very creative. But personally, for me, I don't know why. I just felt that. Yeah, it, uh, it was hard. It was difficult. It felt um, just very monotonous. You know, the same thing all the time. Um, I felt kind of tired too. I think that um, I think that it, it kind of affected some people. You know, psychologically. I'm I was one of them. Um, where just being locked down, not having the same routine, not being able to leave your house it kind of dulled my senses a bit or dulled my creativity and I found it very hard to, to you know, to charge that again, even reading um, or writing, this wasn't, you know, the the creativity was there but the kind of desire or the, you know, the inspiration behind it wasn't, you know, firing. Um, so, yeah, so, I mean, it just feels like my creativity just switched on when we come out of lockdown. It's so unusual. Uh, because I'm reading a book at the moment called Neuromancer, um, which is it's just beautifully written. So that's kind of, you know, that has my creativity fire. And getting back into the studio, then, you know, you're able to hear music again, you're able to hear your creations again. And, yeah, that kind of just brought me out of it. So it's, it's unusual. Um, it affected me in a strange way. Um, I think I learned a lot about... I suppose the human psyche. That's one thing I did in lockdown. I read a lot about psychology and like some lectures and but very kind of I suppose very wordy, uh, jargony, not as not as creative, not as fiction um, orientated. More academic work. Yeah. For some reason I just started to to get into that and um, yeah, that's, that's pretty much been my lockdown. Um, so I don't know if any of that makes sense. I am so tired right now. <laughs> no, I feel you. I feel you. And so you're you're out of lockdown now. I mean, how are things uh, in in Ireland? Like, I mean, uh, I'm in California myself, um, in Napa, Napa Valley, uh, and uh, and things keep opening and shutting and opening and shutting. Yeah. You know, they they obviously don't want to keep businesses closed too long, otherwise everything will shut. But then when they open, people aren't responsible. They're not wearing their masks, and it's not going to end for us here. So so what is a how is that for you different for you? in ireland like what is that um yeah my sister actually lives in california Mm -hmm. um yeah so it's it sounds similar it sounds like california may have opened your your uh clubs and maybe like you know bars too soon because that's um our bars aren't fully open yet and we've been in lockdown for three months but 
yeah, it's the same. People aren't wearing masks. They aren't abiding by the guidelines. They're just like, oh, well, it's over. So we're hoping the cases don't spike again. Um, we locked down for a long time, like, and we locked down hard for good. I think it was just over three months. It's still technically in lockdown because the bars still aren't open yet. The pubs still aren't open. Uh, I was able to go back in the studio, but which is great. But as I was saying, I still wear. I'm a huge advocate of wearing a mask, so I wear a mask in studio all day, even when we're recording. Um, but people aren't really following by the. You know, they're not really following the rules. Uh, we opened our restaurants and people just went out, no masks, drinking, being irresponsible. So there seems to be, especially amongst the younger kind of generation, they just want to do whatever, you know, like they want to do the opposite. You know, it's like when I was young, if whatever you're told to do, you just do the opposite of what you're kind of told. So that seems to be a, a bit of a buzz that's going on at the moment here. Um, it's going good though. We're getting, we have very low cases. We locked down for a long time. So, um, I don't, we're kind of, it kind of remains to be seen. Um, we, you know, it's nice to get out again. Lots more people are hiking out in nature. It seems like everybody just needs some nature right now. So that's kind of how it's affected people. Everyone's, Everyone needs to just like reset their mind, you know, recharge their soul, their spirit. And uh, it's like I climbed a mountain, I done a hike uh, a couple of days ago. I hope it never happens again. I hope there's not a second wave. And if there's a second wave, I don't know if we can laugh down again, you know? I know people have seemed to be really resistant to it. Like, okay, they embraced it at first. They're like, I can do, we can do this for a short while. And then, you know, and then. It just gets really hard, right? And you well, you give up, and you miss those relationships that you had, and kind of in the ways that you you had them, and being able to interact with people, right? So, yeah. So, like I said, I was kind of reading a lot of psychological uh, lectures, just journals or whatever, whatever content I could find, and people were saying that the like a, a, a pandemic or a catastrophic event, a level catastrophic event worldwide can trigger uh, trauma in people. So people kind of go into denial, then they go into anger. And uh, that was, you know, you still have a lot of people denying the virus exists. A lot of people are angry. There was a huge surge in political action during it. So a lot of this stuff was triggered actually psychologically by, as a response to the lockdown, you know, um, not like, the political action was was needed, but not in a lockdown. You know, it was bad timing to for that to happen. But it's just interesting at a psychological level. You can re- like you can really see how we're all responding, and it's by numbers. It, re- it really is. So they're saying that um, psychologists were saying that this ha- this level of response hasn't happened since nine eleven. You know, they can see the same thing playing out as nine eleven. And it's devastating um, for a lot of people. Um, but look, I don't know. It's like I don't think, as I said, I don't think we can we can do this again, lockdown again, because it does take its toll on us. Or maybe if we were to lockdown again, maybe we'd be ready for it. We wouldn't be as worried because while everyone's kind of in denial, saying, "Oh yeah, everyone's going to be fine," nobody really knew, and subconsciously we're all worried the world is going to end. You know, so everyone's just going to start dying and that's what subconsciously it's in our dreams it's in our it's in our subconscious you know so it's dark stuff it's heavy stuff and uh, people should acknowledge that you know get on with your life uh, I suppose people are acknowledging it because they, they don't want to do it again they, you know they felt how heavy the impact of it 
like um it's pretty crushing uh on the human psyche something like that so like, there was a protest against uh, there was in ireland i think it was against donald trump or it was for black lives matter um you know and uh, which is awesome but it was in the middle of our lockdown and i couldn't help but think look you could have waited a week i mean it's an awesome thing to protest about but you know this isn't even america you know not that it doesn't matter but yeah. i fully support uh the movement but um well i, I fully support any um political action you know peaceful protesting um people have a right to voice um their you know their opinions but um just the timing just felt like it was kind of coincidence that that's what would have you know that's what your urge was for you know that's what you were you were kind of crying out for that freedom to to um you know to express yourself um so it's just interesting seeing these things happen you know a lot of anger kicked up um but anyway that's you can you can talk about this forever the, the, the effects of the lockdown i'm just like i feel free again to be honest man and it's a great feeling you know well, that's good. And I think we will be talking about it forever, even when we're on the other side fully. So <laughs> it's not yeah, going away. Yeah, man, we could because it's like, you know, once you start to acknowledge the impact of it, uh, it's, it's a very, it's a very interesting subject. Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so let's talk about karma of youth uh, a little bit. Uh, so uh, tell me about, uh, I mean, your process as you went through creating this album. I mean, I know it kind of, a lot of it hit at a, you know, very kind of pivotal time for you where, I mean, you had a lot crash in your life at this, you know, kind of at the same time. And, and I think from those remains came this, uh, this album, right? Yeah. Big time. Um, yeah, it was, that's a good way to phrase it. My life did pretty much kind of crash or what I thought was my life or who I thought I was definitely crashed. Um, I suppose that it, like, well, I go from the beginning or just how, how do you want me to frame this uh, description of Karma of Youth? Um, because really, I, the last, one of the very final things to happen was the name and the concept. Uh, the album almost became, well, it pretty much is a concept album by the end, which is just like a documenting or like a, a metaphysical roadmap for my, you know, my journey after my life kind of crashed or I had this huge kind of I don't know complete and utter change I, w I went through like a dark night of the soul ego like it's something uh, the psychology would describe as an ego of death and um, I think it, it kind of patterned over from when I started writing the first song it probably was like over five years nearly you know the the song, you know, the subject matter, the events that went into that album, you know, spanned, um, you know, spanned at least five years of my life and all these crazy, well, all these, I suppose crazy isn't the right word, but all of these kind of huge changes happening, you know, there was a huge falling away, a crumbling of who I was. Um, so it kind of started with, I was, that band ended and I was in a relationship a long-term relationship that ended but i was kind of i was really unhappy at the same time as well i was you know i was kind of uh the bass player in that band but i was the songwriter as well 
and uh, I was just kind of a backing singer, so I never really had the, you know, the confidence to to be a lead singer. Um, and it was kind of over time when I first started playing in bands, I, I had my kind of confidence destroyed by the bands I played in. You know, they told me I couldn't. You know, some people I was playing with when I was younger, they kind of told me I couldn't sing. Uh, so it took me actually a long time to get the confidence to, to sing on my first song, which was Late Night Radio. Yeah. So it was a long time in the works actually getting to the point where I would write a song. Um, I would, uh, so I just kind of took a backseat role in this band, even though I was writing all the songs. And eventually it just fucking fell apart because I felt like I was, you know, doing all of the work and the other people were just kind of they were there but their heart wasn't fully in it so but it was a complete it felt you know just to step out from it rather than to give you all these details of what was happening in my life which doesn't really I could kind of you know I can give you all these fragments or whatever but to just look at the whole I wasn't fulfilled with what was happening you know and energetically it was all wrong for me it felt all wrong and um so I ended all these things, and when I did, then I was—I had kind of isolated myself to a point where I was completely alone, and uh, I was kind of leaning on alcohol a bit as well. But I couldn't figure out this feeling in me. This kind of—I had this urge just to tear everything down, you know, to, you know, to to rip my life up and start again. To um, and I don't—I don't know what it was. I didn't know what it was at that time. And uh, I was about 29 when that happened, yeah. So when, so that, when that happens, yeah. is that more of like a, a destructive or a productive kind of sense that you're, you're feeling that? Like, I mean, you, rip, you, you mentioned rip your life up, you know, I mean, did you, uh, did you want to tear things up? Did you go in kind of like, okay, you know, I mean, you know, th- this band is not going to work. This relationship is not working. Like, uh, I'm starting over or like, wh- what was that process like for you? to me yeah. I knew it wasn't working but I was still holding on because I didn't I didn't know where else to go after it you know I didn't know what was gonna you know what I could do I'd never even sang on a track what was you know what was I gonna do you know um, I had had that relationship was four years long I had a, a relationship that was eight years before that since I was like a teenager so for me it was like fuck you know every one of my relationships are ending this is something I can't do so I felt that something was like inherently broken in me or something inherently was unaligned, you know, with me that I wasn't able to, you know, to to keep anything together, you know. Or, well, I blame myself and maybe it wasn't me. But, you know, it's, it's, it's actually, I suppose it's quite difficult to frame it. But um, so then I moved on from that had a, an incredible amount of profound experiences. I just kind of moved to this city by the sea called Galway. I had given up music. I had given up everything. I didn't know what to do. I was completely untethered, I suppose, just roaming free. Um, and I decided, right. I was still holding on, though. It was, it was strange. It was like you say it's productive. It was destructive and productive. Yeah. It was like everything needed to be destroyed for it to be rebuilt, you know? So that's what was happening but I was still holding on to the things I was 
letting go, if that makes any sense. Yeah. I was trying to hold on. I was trying my best to hold on. I was trying to recreate it, but, that, you know, like recreate my relationship or, rec- you know, I left music behind. I was trying to, I don't know what I was trying to do. I was trying to re- maintain some semblance of normality in my life and not admit that pretty much everything that I knew to be, you know, normal for me or that I had, I had to let go of. Part of me knew that I had to let go of it. So this can get kind of, it's getting to the spiritual aspect of it now, you know, it's getting to that now. Um, And I just kind of moved on and I had a lot of profound experiences. I completely changed, you know, which is a long story, you know, and some of the points in that were like, I kind of was drawn towards, which I never was before, more spiritual kind of um, literature and more spiritual ideology, just exploring ideas. Um, it felt like I was kind of, when I had given up music then, I was just, I wrote more songs than I ever had. I gave it up because I decided, right, I can't do this. I'm, this isn't for me. Um, I can't even sing, you know. That's how low my opinion was of myself. That's how, yeah, that's that's how low my self-esteem was and how high my self, you know, mm-hmm. self-loathing was. Um, and at that time when I let go of music and trying to write songs, I started to write songs. Yeah. But I didn't even try and write them. They just started happening, you know. And um, I didn't know what to do with them. You know, it was about a year or two before I even considered doing anything with these songs. Um, because it just, it, it, I don't know, it just, it was meaning, you know, it's something I had put away. It's something I had put to death. So um, eventually I just decided, look, I'll do one. That's all I, I said. I just said, okay, I've got this song. I miss music. I miss expressing myself. I'll do one and I'll see what happens. And uh, I did, I just did one song, which was Young Gods of Nishina. And uh, I was like really happy with how it turned out. And then it was kind of like serendipitously or just coincidentally, my manager contacted me about my old band. He was interested in the old band, um, doing some sync licensing for them. And then he, I showed him the song I had just done. So he then was really interested in managing me. Things kind of took off from there. I think I was saying, you know, I had an experience of a spiritual awakening, um, which, you know, it made sense that I was leading to that point, but I'm not sure I still understand it. It's a a hell of a powerful thing, but a friend of mine, Amber Myers is her name. She's an astrologer. You can follow her on Instagram, actually. She's awesome, called Kundalini Shakti Rising. But she... She told me that um, this concept about Saturn return, which is when you're you, you're like around 28, 29, uh, Saturn returns to kind of devour your youth. Or, you know, yeah, you get to serve, you get a choice to serve your karma of youth. And it's when you're like around 29, maybe around, and it's every 30 years, so like, or 29 years. So maybe when you're around 60-ish as well, you can choose to uh, to serve this karma. Um, I was kind of, this kind of blew me away for, for more than one reason, because I had, this was something I had been talking about to people before that. I, I said to some of my friends or people I met, I was like, 
I was always asking, you know, did you find 29 a, a weird age? It feels like that's a time when people really start to change energetically to me. People make some big decisions. Relationships can end. People can just move city, move different, you know, move to different countries. Make huge life choices, even career choices. Everything can change. And I've noticed that. And I'm not an, into astrology, you know, at all. You know, it's not something I had ever been into. But, uh, you know, I researched the concept then when I heard about it and I discovered the paintings by, you know, Ruben and Goya and all the ancient Greek um, literature and um, mythology behind this. And it's, you know, it's pretty solid mythology there for uh, the Saturn return. So then my album became Karma View because that's what it is. And I felt like this whole whole album really documents my Karma View or my Saturn return. I felt that that whole, you know, when I just said to you, I was being, you know, I was being kind of pulled away from this. I felt I had to let everything go uh, that I had. I didn't know why, yet I was still holding on. And, um, Something was like, I don't know, something was telling me that this wasn't aligned for me. This is, this life wasn't for me. That's really, and then I think it ends with the song Saturn Return, which is this kind of triumphant breakthrough. Um, feels like overcoming, really kind of powerful, overcoming, soaring sensation kind of song. I knew that was perfect to end it. Um, so, yeah, that's, um, I could talk about it for yeah. another hour, yeah. but, you know. That's as much as I, I can uh, frame right now. Yeah, and so I want to kind of transition a little bit from that to Moyle um, uh, Mora, where you took the profits and you kind of applied that to uh, Down Syndrome Ireland. Can you tell me about where uh, where the decision to do that came from and what um, you know, kind of what that organization means to you? Uh, well. More so than the actual organization itself, uh, I had uh, worked with a child. So in my in my job, so when I uh, so I'm a teacher, and when I moved city, I got a new job, and in that job I was teaching a child. He's about eight years old, and uh, you know, he Down syndrome. So you know, he was learning basic literacy, basic numeracy, you know, how to add very simple numbers like one to 10 and to write his own name and three letter words and things like that. But he was, at that moment in time, I'd kind of left everything. That was that moment where I'd left all my own life behind. I was devastated. It wasn't, you know, I hadn't let go willingly. Um, I was in a really sad place and uh, I was kind of going to work with this kid every day and he was just so full of life. <laughs> like he was inspiring to me and he was so happy and he just, he just kind of, he had a big, you know, he had a, just a great energy and a, a really uplifting mood. He always had a smile on his face every time I, I went to, you know, to meet him in the morning. And that really made me, that was a huge turning point in my life, a huge change for me. It really made me look at myself because how could I be so sad or, you know, so, you know, so traumatized or so down in myself about these things that I've lost or, well, you know, I thought I lost, you know, yeah. um, or let go of. It just, it just paled in comparison.
years and these challenges that I thought I had just paled in comparison to the challenge this boy would face every day and face it, you know, with a smile. Um, so that to me, that taught me. It, 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 that was the point in my life where I wanted to transcend myself. Well, maybe not, you know, that's another way of saying maybe I just wanted to become something better in a spiritual sense. You know, I wanted to, I knew I needed to let go of who I was and the way I thought and become something better, you know. Yeah. Um, so that's why, you know, I wanted to um, donate proceedings to Down Syndrome Ireland Um I felt it was right. I felt that the song was inspired completely by my relationship with this child, Ryan. Um, and the song kind of just happened. It was one of those songs that just happened. Yeah. I didn't really know what it's about. I'm still figuring out what it's about. I really enjoy discussing the lyrics of it because it's like I intuit. The lyrics kind of I channel. It's like I channel those lyrics. They just happened. I was just... It was kind of like a song I wasn't really paying attention to. It was I was focused on other songs, and this was this song was happening. That can happen, you know. You could be writing two songs, and next thing a third one's happening, and you're just kind of you're you're just kind of working on this third one while you're taking a break from the other songs. And I didn't, you know, it just kind of happened. I didn't understand it. I didn't understand a lot of the lyrics for that reason. I wasn't. I wasn't enamored by the song, you know, and it's only over time I grew to understand that song. It took, I had to actually evolve to understand my own song, which is incredible. Yeah, um, so, so where did it come now, from, right? Like where, when you when you don't understand the kind of the music that you're you're making as it's coming out, as you're making it, like where does it come, th- come from? Uh, before I would, you know, say that I, I wrote consciously, you know, for Brain, yeah, think you know where you consciously go. This is what the song is going to be about. This is what I'm writing. So subconsciously, then is where that song came from. Um, I suppose you could go into left brain and right brain. <clears throat> you know, when you're you can create art like Jackson Pollock, and you know it looks like a mess, and you're just not even thinking about it. So it's kind of unthinking. I would write lyrics on thinking and as possible because obviously you're you know it's not just a mess on the page i'm still putting structure i was just talking about writing subconscious you know writing from the subconscious where you don't question your lyrics and uh, you asked me how you know if you're writing a song and you don't understand what you're writing about what's you know what's that process like and that happened for me the first time that ever happened was me and Mara. Uh, it's taken me quite a few years to understand the song, but it actually makes the song infinitely deeper when you write from the subconscious. It's like writing from the dream world uh, is what, you know, the psychologist Carl Jung would say, or um, even Salvador Dali's paintings are dream world. And um, when you're writing consciously, say you're going to write a song, okay, I love this girl and I'm going to write about everything we do together and what I love about it. You might get some metaphors in um, and that, you know, it'll be a straightforward song and everyone will understand it. But if you write from your subconscious, it won't be immediately discernible what the song is about really, you know, 
because people ask me for the lyrics, even of Meal More Mara, and they want to know what does Meal More mean. Even putting Irish language in the song uh, is, you know, that's not something I would have ever intentionally done. It just happened. It just came from my, you know, my subconscious. I'd write the lyric, I wouldn't question it if it feels right. So, and it doesn't mean that the song will be written faster. It can sometimes take a long time because you're going on how lyrics feel rather than how they make sense. How they sound is always important, but um, it's how they feel, and it has to feel right. And I've often taken six months to finish the lyrics for a song. Even if I'm writing them subconsciously, even if I'm not questioning the process, it has to feel right. Every part of it has to feel right. Um, so, Milmore Mary, yeah. There's, just for example, there's a... Some of my songs as well can feel like they're, pro, you know, they're prophecies in a way. They're kind of um, premonition. Some of them have turned out that way, or maybe I apply the meaning afterwards. Who knows? But um, like I was saying recently, I discovered that in you know the novel Moby Dick, um, the white whale is actually a metaphor for a higher self. That's what he's chasing, Captain Ahab, which actually ties in really well with Milmore Mara because it is about you know the, the the quest for you know to find connecting with your higher self. That mm. was for me was inspired by working with Rean, the child with Down syndrome. That inspired me to search for a higher self, something better than myself, a higher existence, a higher purpose. So that's what. That, that song was subconsciously written about that. And I suppose that's where the higher self is in the subconscious. I suppose you have to try and transcend your your own logic, your own analytical mind. You have to transcend that mind and move into a more subconscious, more abstract place. Uh, that's where creativity really comes from. Raw creativity really comes from the subconscious, the subconscious you know. Um, so... And- that's what the process is like. So, it can be right now. I'm, that song I'm ta- told you about, Trans Re, that I'm writing. Yeah, it's loosely based on um, transgender uh, a woman called Sonia Zuffer that was actually kicked to death in Barcelona in the nineties just for being by Bar- by Barcelona FC right wing fans just for being a, a transgender. Um, but it's not just that. So there's kind of. For some reason, I felt this. I was watching, you know, the tra- uh, a documentary about transgender children, and I have a, f- a fan of my music who actually wrote me a letter uh, to say that she was becoming um, a male, and I was the first person that she told. And this resonated me with me in a way I couldn't quite explain because I'm not sure I fully understand. I hold my hand up and say I don't fully understand every aspect of transgenderism. Uh, I don't understand even for children. You know, it's it's really controversial and very sensitive. So I'm not saying I, I couldn't have the answers if I tried. Sure, uh, especially for children, right? Like, I mean. Right? 
like you're saying, I mean, like, uh, I mean, with, with kids, right. You know, how can they know that early that they're, you know, they're not comfortable in their body. Do you let them, you know, explore that, you know, I mean, how do you support them? How do you make, you know, I mean, at what point do they make that decision? Right. Because you don't, I mean, as a child and adolescent, you go through so much uh, development and growth and change and, uh, and everything. And so at what point do you, (laughs) does it come? Okay. This is, you know, um, just, this is, I I don't want to use the word term fad, but, you know, but just something that they're kind of going through right now. Is it something that they'll, you know, um, grow beyond? I mean, obviously you're not going to jump to anything. I mean, doing anything too soon, but you want them to feel comfortable in their skin, right? Yeah. They're, they're exactly all the questions that would go through your mind. Yeah. Um, and I don't think I have, I mean, I could give concrete answers, but, I don't think I have all the answers. There are things that I get confused about. Um, it's really important for me to separate, I suppose, the transgender. It can, someone transgender can be a man, of course. To be a biological male, no, that doesn't work. Um, but Or to be a biological woman, that doesn't work. You can't, not as of yet, you can't completely transition. I don't know if it's ever possible. Maybe it is. Um, but you know, there's there's a lot of complications in it, but especially with children. But for me, writing the song, uh, you know, I had to ask myself a lot of questions. Why am I writing this song? And um, it kind of transcended logic for me again. I don't know that might sound like a bit, like a bitish, maybe even chicanery, or it mm-hmm. might sound like I'm avoiding the issue, but not really. It just kind of it felt like I just felt if it. If someone wants to change their gender and they're like 12 or 13 years old and nobody agrees with you and nobody supports you in that, which is quite common. It's like you've just taken on the whole world and really the fabric of reality in doing that. Even kids as young as eight and nine are doing it. You're kind of questioning the whole of reality based on a feeling or instinct you have. That to me, the power behind that, the power I sense from that, just in an energetic way, regardless of, you know, right or wrong or the, you know, the, the, the questions, the, the, the huge questions and the, the traumatic experience the parents might have from that, which, you know, I imagine they would and the child. Um, I just focused on the energy of it, to be honest which I felt was incredibly powerful, overwhelmingly powerful. It just, it struck me as something that was, it always reminded me of the energy when I first heard, you know, punk music that I love. Yeah. And it was this just kind of, and I'm, I'm not trying to equate the whole process to that. I'm not boiling down anything here. I'm just describing the energy of the song and the energy behind what I'm writing. And it's another kind of subconscious approach where, I can't make sense of it. I talked to my friend about it last night. I'm like, look, this song doesn't make sense. And he said, it doesn't have to. It's going, it's something beyond that. So maybe uh, Nietzsche would maybe, you know, comes to mind beyond good and evil, or, you know, sometimes you just move beyond logic and maybe I'll understand it in time. I think I will, because it takes me time to understand my songs, but um, yeah, that's what it's about. And I'm, 
moved for some reason to write that song. So when I moved to do that, uh, it's something I don't ignore anymore. I just do it. And um, I let it happen. Yeah. That's, so I, I don't know if, you know if that gives you a sense of what that process is like. Uh, you have to let go. You, you, know, you can't. You just have to let go and let it become whatever it becomes. You're almost channeling something that you felt. Yeah, that's well. That's really cool. Uh, and Sean, so um, as we kind of wind down, I want to ask you. So you mentioned earlier on uh, your sister lives in California. So you've been you've yeah. been out here. Uh, whereabouts in California does your sister live? Uh, she's was in San Francisco. I think she just bought a house in Oakland. Oh, okay. So yeah, the Bay, Bay Area. So um, when you when you've been out to the Bay Area, like um, tell me about that experience for you. Uh, um, what did you do here? What did you think? Well, well, yeah, right that time, that was early in, I was still quite hurt at that time. I was still quite, you know, I was still finding myself at that time. And um, I remember I had started reading a book called, I discovered a book called Psycho-Cybernetics from this website I love called, called High Existence by Jordan Bates runs it. And uh, just a book kind of that really, it was about, you know, kind of positive visualization and things like that. And that really, you know, supercharged my, you know, my process of becoming someone different. You know, it allowed me to visualize, which I hadn't been doing, who, you know, who do, who should I become or not should, but who was I, what was I moving towards? And it allowed me to access my subconscious even more and not to judge my writing. It actually explained how, in creativity, you can actually jam your creative um, your creative portals by overthinking and judging your work. Uh, so anyway, I was reading. I remember going. I think I bought this book in San Francisco, and um, but I just kind of chilled. Um, my favorite part was one morning I rented a bicycle and cycled over the Golden Gate Bridge to Sausalito, and it rained all day. So my sister didn't come with me for some reason because it was raining or something, but. Uh, I just got up. I ran from Pacific Heights into uh, into town, into San Francisco, the, the, whatever it's called, the station there. Mm-hmm. Got a bike, cycled over the Golden Gate Bridge. Uh, that was it. I didn't get to see the coastline, so I'll have to do that again. Yeah. Got to get back here, huh? Ah <laughs> oh, man, yeah, got to get back here. I will be. Yeah, I think I will. When everything clears up, so. <laughs> Hopefully, yeah. yeah. Uh, there, well, like my manager is talking about that. He's like, "Look, you have to get over here when everything, when this is over." So yeah, yeah. it's 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 in the pipeline. I like it. If the world if the world doesn't end this year, that's you know, twenty twenty one will be much better, right? It can't be much worse. <laughs> so yeah, I don't know, man. It can yeah. always get worse, but yeah, I think we're. Yeah. I think we'll be okay. Yeah, I think we'll be okay. We'll push through. Well, Sean, I want to thank you for taking the time to to chat. Um, yeah, it was great. Thank you. Yeah, sorry I... about all the connection issues. I'm in the wild, wild Irish countryside now, and that's where I kind of create my music. So I, I always go, yeah, to the country. I mean, it's it sounds really beautiful. Like I, Ireland's one of those places that I would, you know, I'll, I've never left the country as an adult, and uh, and I got my passport right before, like right as COVID was starting to hit, you know, and now uh, can't use it. So, but but Ireland's one of those places that I've always wanted to go. It seems really beautiful, and I think it's the green hills because we don't have a lot of that here in California. 
you know? Yeah, man. Get over here. Yeah, you'll love it. Yeah. Yeah. You'll never want to leave. Although we're not taking, <laughs> well, we're trying not to take too many visitors right now. But um, <laughs> Not now. No, no. But uh, yeah, yeah. definitely in the future. Yeah, whenever you can. Yeah. Well, thank you again, Sean. Yeah, and I hope you have an awesome rest of your, your day. All right, that was the interview with Outsider here on Concert Pipeline. And Jens, that takes us to the final segment on the podcast. What is it? It is our segment that has everything to do with music news. Right, we each have a couple of stories to share on what's going on in the music news world. And Jens, my first story is about our boy Ozzy Osbourne. Um, Ozzy, nice. Hit me. What's up with Ozzy? Uh, we talked uh, last week about uh, you know the goings on with. I mean, you you got kind of a little emotional about his uh, situation with uh, his son Jack and how they were kind of oh, there yeah. to support each other and everything and um, and. You know, this one is a you know a pretty uh, positive story. I'll let you know that he's working on a new album with producer Andrew Watt, uh, according to uh, his wife and manager Sharon Osbourne. Um, and they previously put together his early 2020 release, Ordinary Man. Uh, they and have teamed up for a second project. Um, so Sharon said the album was sensational uh, she told Steve-O's Wild Ride podcast he's starting his second album with Andrew Watt right now and you can't stop him he's doing it uh, so produced by Watt Ordinary Man was recorded with the rhythm section of Guns N' Roses bassist Duff McKagan and Red Hot Chili Peppers drummer Chad Smith and featured special guest appearances by Slash Elton John and Tom Morello uh, and it entered the UK charts that. I know that is a smash you know lineup and uh, way to go Aussie. Yeah, I need to listen to that, I guess. Huh? <laughs> I, had, I, I know. Li- I'm actually really excited about it. I haven't listened to it yet, but uh, I have to check that out. And uh, it entered the UK charts at number three to deliver his him the highest charting solo album ever in his homeland. Um, and she also shared an update on his health uh, after a difficult year, of course. And uh, he's doing good. He's doing really, really good, she explains. He's had a terrible, terrible injury. At one point, they thought he would never walk again, but he is. He's walking, and he's doing great. He's been hit by so much uh, uh, medically, but he's doing good. He's getting stronger every day. Uh, so, And she went on from there. But, um, but positive news from Ozzy Osbourne camp. That is fantastic. Uh, you know, Ozzy is always... Um so it's good to have him in the news and to be able to report on him and uh, you know let people know what is going on with him. He is definitely a legend. He is indeed. Jens, you got a, you got a story for us. Forever. If anybody on this planet lives forever, it's going to be Ozzy. It'll be that guy. Yep. That's right. Talking about illnesses, uh, I got a story. Hit it. You ready for this? I'm ready. Yeah. Okay. I got a story about David, Mr. David Lee Roth. Ooh, what's he up to? Well, he was ill himself. Um, It was an undisclosed illness, uh, which occurred earlier this year. Um, And he shared in an interview that it very well may have been COVID-19. Oh, okay. So he thinks thinks it was, huh? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I guess there was some speculation because it happened pretty early on. So uh, he was... He fell ill prior to the whole pandemic lockdown, 
and um, he was playing live, supporting Kiss on their latest North American Farewell uh, tour. And um, he told the New York Times of his illness. Uh, he said, quote, I'm not so unconvinced I didn't have the Rona. Mm. Man, they gave me enough prednisone to put boots on the moon. We left a trail of groupies, rubble, and incandescent reviews. But I don't want to go back through it, unquote. Man, that's pretty intense, dude. Yeah, yeah, that's a mess. Okay, so... That is a mess. Well, I'm glad that he made it through that. I mean, um, you know, he's at that age group that, uh, you know, that is more susceptible to to the disease. Yeah. Or virus or whatever. Yeah, well, I'm glad he's okay, because we need him to keep he, rocking, right? Right. Yes, 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 yes. So, so David Lee Roth as well is here to live another day you know can't can't put him back down either right so <laughs> that's right <laughs> all right i got a fun story for you um so this one um involves uh it's a cover of a song we're gonna play a little music here in a second but um but this is a chris cornell cover of guns and roses patience it goes online uh, wow. And his camp is celebrating um, what would have been his, uh, his birthday today, the day of us recording this, um, July 20th, um, with the release of a special cover performance. Uh, and so this, there's a new video that was shared on social media and YouTube of Cornell's take on, Cornell's take on um, the classic Guns N' Roses ballad uh, from their 1988 release, Lies. And they wrote on social media about the cover. His birthday seemed like the perfect time to share this and celebrate Chris, his voice, music, stories, and art. Uh, it is true uh, a man is not dead w- uh, when his name is still spoken. And through his art, an artist's soul still burns just as bright as ever upon all those that look upon him and his memory. Releasing mu- music that was special to Chris keeps a part of him here with us, his heart and soul his love and his legacy and uh we're going to check out just a little piece of patience so um you yeah you, you familiar with the song ends uh you know i might have heard it maybe once or maybe even twice okay it's a i i dig it it's a guns and roses song that i really like so it's fantastic yes okay so we're gonna play a little clip here and here it is Uh, yeah, uh, really moving cover. I, re- I really dig it. I'll tell you that. Yeah, that's great. It's, it sounds true to the original, but you can definitely hear that it's uh, Chris Cornell. Um, and it's wow. I um, it's nice to hear his voice again. Yeah, uh, and 
I'll tell you, like uh, I only had a chance to see him live once. I saw him with uh, Audio Slave, and uh, like 2006, I want to say, and uh-huh. uh, and it was such a cool performance. And then at the uh-huh. at the end, you know, after Audio Slave, uh, he came out solo and did a color a cover not a cover because it's his, but he uh, he played Black Hole Sun, um, uh-huh. uh, just him and guitar afterwards, and it was amazing. Fantastic! It was so wow. cool. It was so cool. So yeah, obviously it was great. Yeah, yeah, they I were that band. they were really cool too. I was into their uh, their album for a while. It was uh, yeah, it was good times. Yeah. Uh, you got one more story for us, Jens? I do, I do, I do, I do. So, um, uh, Steve, we have talked about um, uh, what a freaking bummer it's been um, that so many concerts that we were looking forward to in 2020 were canceled, right? We have. Um, so I have a little bit of news about one of these concerts that has been rescheduled. We have tour dates. Okay, I mean, we'll see if it happens, right? I mean, I'm hearing now things yeah. things probably aren't going to happen until 2022. <laughs> so let's right, what? I know, right? So a um, so cu- couple of caveats. Uh, got to keep my fingers crossed that these shows are actually going to happen. Um, but a couple of caveats. One is they're going to happen, or they're planned for next year, and none of them are planned to take place in the United States. Okay, so that's which, that's promising, I guess, that's, right? That's, that's, yeah, that's the caveat. And I think that's a good thing, because I think um, the United States, and the, the, a lot of American people have no fucking idea what they're doing, and they're not... Um, helping the pandemic situation, but other places in the world, like Europe, um, has a much better handle on this. Uh, so let me talk about KISS. So we're talking about the final tour ever. So they say, yep. So they say, and we know by experience, that's not always the case. Yeah. Uh, sometimes there's the second final tour forever, or the third final tour forever. You're right. We it happens. See. Anyway, so... <laughs> Well, I was so looking forward to seeing Kiss and boom, you know, stupid pandemic. So right, right. European tour dates. Um, the concert is called End of the Road Farewell Tour. Um, and it's going to take place in the spring and summer of 2021. So the first tour date is going to be less than a year away. Um, but the band was unable to reschedule all shows, uh, so there are some shows that aren't gonna gonna happen on their European leg. But um, the first one is going to be on June second, and that's in Belgium. Okay. And then uh, let me see. I'll just highlight some of these, some of these, uh, some of these dates here. But uh, Gene Simmons added, "We can't wait for this pandemic to be over." And uh, for all of you, uh, and uh, for all of you to be safe, we are planning to rock your world once it's safe out there. Uh, for all of you, and for all of us, uh, we will see you guys in Europe. And um, okay, so it's going to start off in Belgium. They're um, going to France. They're going to Germany, Poland. Uh, they're going to be in Sweden, Finland, Switzerland. All of that's happening in June. Then July, they're going to uh, do Spain, and um, they'll be doing the Czech Republic. They'll be doing Italy, um, France, Germany, Hungary. Yeah, that's it. So um, they're they're shooting for 
two months of touring and uh, let's just hope that it's going to be safe enough out there not to be uh, rescheduled again. Oh, one can hope. I mean, I, like I'm, I'm, I'm hopeful there's a light at the end of the tunnel, Jens. I really am. I, yeah, like, yeah. There is. It's just nobody knows how long it's going to take, you know? I, you know, I haven't gone this long without going to a concert since, you know, bef- well before the podcast started, you know, right. six I, years I know. ago. It's like, what happens when the withdrawal symptoms really, you know, start taking place? Do we fall to the ground and start foaming at the mouth and twitching? Or, I mean... <laughs> I, th- I think that's the name of the game, right? Like, uh, <laughs> Probably. Yeah. Yeah, it's been a long time. I mean, this is really weird. Yeah. Well, really finger, fingers crossed. I would love, I mean, it would have... It would be so cool to see Kiss. I don't think we're going to ever, but <laughs> yeah, yeah, but, yeah. But it, I mean, maybe we'll get lucky, and Europe will open their doors for you know American tourists. I don't want to get stuck over like, there, Jens. I got kids here, so like, I don't, we'll, we'll a big... bring the kids, and then we'll all be stuck over there together. Oh, good, good. I like that idea. Yes. <laughs> yeah, we'll go to we'll go to the show in Poland. It's cheap. We can get the cheap Airbnb and stay there for a while. How are shows in Antarctica these days, Jens? Uh... <laughs> <laughs> I think they social distance there pretty well, right? It's probably one of the best places to be for a pandemic, right? I would imagine so. Good. And I know Metallica's played there, so right? It's a, yeah, yeah. Or the moon. That's why right, even safer. Right. It's a lightly occupied right now. <laughs> we'll move to Mars to get a lift from Elon. So, yes. yeah. Oh, good times. Good times. Well, Jens, I have one more story. And I hate, I hate that it's not about, you know, uh, Dave Grohl. But... What? It's, no, tell me. You have a story about Dave Grohl. I got nothing on Dave Grohl this week, and it's one of those few times a year or something where it's just crickets and we're in, you know, COVID, so we stretched a little thin, let's be honest. Uh, in terms oh, of Dave, no. Dave stories. We have been on a roll with Dave Grohl stories, back to back to back to back. We have, but uh, uh, this week I, uh, I'm going to close us out with a story about Kanye. We talked last week about how he put his name in the hat for uh, – presidential bids right and hold on can you give me two seconds while i vomit uh, (laughs) sorry okay you were saying yeah well so there you know we're still kind of trying to determine whether this is real or not i i think we've been trying for about four years now and uh (laughs) and yet here we are right so uh Rapper Kanye West in his first ever event uh, since declaring you himself. You just said Kanye. I said you Kanye. 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 I just. No, I said. You think you said that? I may have said Kanye because my mouth is so in such a smile because it's just so unbelievable. Yeah, excuses, excuses, <laughs> yeah. dude. How do you say his name, man? Can you correct me? Kanye. Oh, you got it. Look at you go. I've been practicing. You have, huh? You knew this was coming. That you'd be back in the music news. <laughs> yep. Uh huh. Well, this, during his first event, uh, uh, after declaring himself a presidential candidate, he ranted against historical figure Harriet Tubman on Sunday, saying the Underground Railroad conductor never actually freed the slaves. She just had them work for other white people. I'll let that go for a second. Wait, just say that again? She, uh, he said that uh, Harriet Tubman never actually freed the slaves. She just had them work for other white people. Oh, okay. And comments that drew shouts of opposition from some in the crowd. Uh, I watched a little video clip of this, actually, and uh, from people who were like 10 feet from Kanye shooting on their iPhone. And uh, uh, and, and one of them just says to the other, okay, we're leaving now. And then the video stops, you know? And uh-huh. they were 10 feet away from 
future president Kanye, right? Like, uh, and and they left. And so he delivered a lengthy monologue touching on topics from abortion and religion. And I just have to take a second to, you heard that chirping. Uh, there's a nest right over my head. Uh, yeah, I saw that. Yeah. yeah. I, I don't know if that was there earlier. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's been there for a couple of weeks. Uh, the birds are, well, they've been birding. So, <laughs> um, yeah. Birds have been birding. Right. Uh, so um, he, he touched on topics from abortion and religion to international trade and licensing deals before a crowd in North Charleston, South Carolina. Uh, and so Tubman is one of the most respected figures of the 19th century America, an African-American who, who escaped slavery, helped enslave black men and women, travel north to freedom, and fought for the Union during the Civil War. She later became a supporter of women's suffrage, and he's disrespecting her in this regard like like that right and yeah, yeah. and so listen to this on abortion he said that while he believes it should be legal financial incentives to help struggling mothers could be a way to discourage the practice uh everybody that uh has a baby gets a million dollars he said in an example i'll let that one sit for a second too I don't know what's. I don't know how to process. It. <laughs> I don't know what's going on here, yet. I, I think my brain brain's just gonna. I don't know. Reboot and then fail to to start. Up. This is nuts, right? Uh, blue screen on my. Oh I've yeah. got that like that that's that spinning circle going around on my forehead, <laughs> trying to process. What? Yeah, and uh, so wearing a he was wearing a protective vest like a, a bulletproof vest, and uh, and he had twenty twenty shaved into his head. Uh, he should have something shaved into his head. <laughs> uh, yeah, there were several hundred people gathered in the venue, and it was reportedly for registered for registered guests only. Although a campaign website had no registration or RV uh, information, so. Uh, he became tearful at one point uh, while he was speaking without a microphone. He's talking about his mom who died following plastic surgery complications in 2007, which I have no idea what that has to do with his running for president and his qualifications there. Uh, but this is where it gets interesting, Jens. Okay, I don't know. I mean, if you've been like really keeping up on the, the juiciness of the story, but he missed the deadline to qualify for the ballot in several states. Yeah. Uh, and it was unclear... Uh -huh. I've been trying hard to ignore this story. Like, <laughs> I, knew, I knew we were going to follow up on it, and so every time I saw a clip of it online, I'm like, oh, I don't want to know. It's not over, Jens. It's not over, right? And so it was unclear <laughs> if, if he was willing or able to collect enough signatures to require to qualify in others. Uh, so last week, he did qualify to appear on Oklahoma's presidential ballot, the first state where he met the requirements before fi the filing deadline. He needed to collect 10,000 signatures by noon today to appear on the South Carolina ballot according to state law which is where his rally was yesterday uh <laughs> and he didn't get he either didn't get the signatures or didn't get the work in or anything uh he uh yeah he tweeted out a list of locations around the charleston area where petitions could be signed uh but uh, God. uh but they weren't filled out in time so um good times good times good times so if he does win uh, the presidency, does that mean he can only be president of the United States for those few states that he actually got some votes in? I, you know, I, so that's, <laughs> this is my question, right? But, but what I believe this to mean, if he, I, if rules are rules, then he doesn't get to collect any voters from that location. 
Yeah. So, it, so, uh, so the electoral about you know uh, college like they won't apply to that you know from that state for him is my guess because he's joining in the game so late in the game and yeah has a lot of work to do yeah. if he if he's actually serious which who knows who knows right because he got apparently he'll be on you know the the actual ballot in uh uh what state did i say um oklahoma I think Oklahoma, right, was where he's he's actually going to be. So, and so we'll we'll see what this saga continues. As I'm sure we'll have an update next week. And we'll, yeah, it's just too interesting not to talk about. I'm sorry, you know. Right, right. You know what? I think um, uh, I don't know what to think. I think maybe in his head he's serious, but I don't think he realizes exactly what the magnitude is of this. You know, in terms of how, what, like the broad scope of how much needs to be done to have a you know chance in hell and getting a significant number of votes i mean he was very low in percentage uh he's late you know he's got some ramping to do <laughs> some yeah. some virtual rallies to be holding uh, to to catch up to the other two <laughs> candidates right. but right, right. you know don't put anything past easy right exactly so all right, well, Jens, that's our show for today. Uh, a good one, I'd say. Yeah, not too bad. No Dave Grohl, but, you know. <laughs> I'm okay. sorry. Uh, more, more to look forward to on the next uh, podcast. I, I hope to not let you down. You know, maybe I'll need to just make him a call and just say, hey, do something cool, okay? Come on, get... get yeah, exactly, right. We can't go two weeks. Roll or something. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, so, uh, so next week on the pod, Jens, we have an artist named Koretsky. Ole Kolaretsky, uh, to be exact, um, and uh, he, you know we had a, a really good conversation there as well. So um, we're getting to talk to lots of artists from around the country, around the world, through you know this uh, this new way of doing interviews where we don't go to concerts uh, <laughs> per se, but we dream about the last concerts we've been to, or exactly. But we still have, you know, still having some impactful conversations, so. Uh, right, right. It's a lot of fun. So, Jens, we should spend some time going back and looking at all the videos that we've taken of the concerts that we've been to. Just re- reminisce through the old times. <laughs> yeah, maybe we'll just uh, you know uh, just drive around one night and go to the different venues in the city uh, where we've seen shows and just look at our phones and just you know play those videos from back the good old I'll, days when we could go out. I'll tell you, concerts to see. Last weekend, I did. Per- so I did purchase a live concert uh, streaming experience. Um, so Andrew McMahon, um, as you know, my favorite uh, artist, he uh, he was doing a live show in um, in um, Ventura, I believe, uh, and it was a drive-in show. And so, like, like a drive-in movie theater type. Like that, but with a concert, and he had the full band and a new uh, member to his band there as well. And so they drove in, uh, and people drive in, and then they'd stand outside of their car or have chairs or something like that. And yeah, and the cars were spaced out uh, and, and everything. So obviously a limited number of tickets, but it was, I mean, the, the shows, he did three nights, and the show sold out really quickly. And he... It was a unique concert experience because he played everything in transit. 
his first Jack Manikin album that uh-huh. uh, that you uh, you were there you saw yeah. everything in transit in its entirety he played it in its entirety again because it's the 15th anniversary of everything uh-huh. in transit and we saw it for Sweet. the 10th so um, nice that's cool that's so cool you did that so it was and he lives not too far away from there right doesn't he live in the LA area oh he yeah he I mean it was a, a, a jump over because he, you know he even talked about how he went to prom right there at that you know like at that venue there right so <laughs> uh so yeah i mean it was i sat down with the kids and the girlfriend we watched it and atticus stayed up till 10 or something which is way late for him and uh and he just i mean he played that album in its entirety and then played something corporate and uh other andrew mcmahon the wilderness songs and uh, and it was just like Oh, just to go to live shows again. I'm glad we got to have him on the podcast last year, you know, from Wisconsin before all shit went down and everything. And it just yeah. made me miss the live experience, but be grateful for what we have. So, right. Um, exactly. So that's our show, Jens. So we'll t- yeah, everyone will tune in next week, I'm sure. And for all of us here at Concert Pipeline, that's Jens Schippel. And that is Steve Jones. We will catch you next time. Later.